Welcome in to episode 126 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Stabman, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo and Glisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a depressing interview every single week. Uh, haven't done it for the last couple of weeks. We'll not be doing it for the couple of weeks after this because of uh, various like holiday-related stuff. Um, I can't even remember why we didn't do it the last two weeks. Oh, one week was my wife's birthday, so we were out of town and doing shit, right? And, and I was uh, all over the place last week with uh, car shit. Yeah, there's yeah, so you know we we're still we're still doing these when we can, but you know busy schedules, life shit going on. Hopefully in the new year we'll have more time to do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be seeing you on uh, what second weekend of January, yes. right? So maybe maybe we'll subject all of our friends to a live episode of Two and a Half Marks. <laughs> they would hate us. Uh, yeah, they would literally kill us for that. Uh, but it is a gift though. The, the show that we were able to get for what is, you know, almost undoubtedly going to be our last episode of 2023. Uh, because it's something that, Angelo, you have been asking for. For months. Repeatedly, not for months. We're talking years. Because we've been doing this show for two and a half fucking years. Or yeah. no, like three years. No, two and a half, right? Three years would be, we started March, no, we started March 2020. Yeah, we started the shit right at the start of COVID, right? Or May 2020, yeah. So yeah. we're approaching year four. For like over three years now. So yeah, like, you know, when we started this, it was during COVID. You know, you weren't like necessarily like, oh, I want to watch an, uh, an episode of the shit that we have to watch on TV all the time now. Because literally it's the only thing going on. Uh, but, but. Probably starting like, you know, late 2021 or so from like onward, like when we got fans back, you started like calling for, hey, I want to watch a pandemic WWE pay-per-view. I want to watch a pandemic WWE pay-per-view. Every fucking Because I'm a real sicko. You're begging for it. You're fucking, you know, clamoring for it. And folks, we've got a pandemic WWE pay-per-view. One of the first ones, too. One of the first ones, I believe it was the second one, because it wasn't the first one, the Pandemic Mania. Yeah. This was the follow-up to the Pandemic Mania. It is, and it's and it's for me, uh, even more memorable than the Pandemic Mania. I think it's the most memorable one of these, like, empty arena uh, pay-per-views, at least for me. Um, we've got WWE Money in the Bank 2020, uh, which is uh, fucking, uh, you know... Probably apropos that we're watching a COVID pay-per-view because I may have just gotten COVID recently. <laughs> uh, it cost me a booking yeah, yesterday, actually, unfortunately. But um, yeah, uh, I'm fine. I have tested negative, but... We do record these remotely. We're not in the same room. We have tested negative, but our, uh, our COVID tests were expired which is apparently something that can happen. So I don't take that for what it's worth. You, you, yeah, you have COVID like v, it was a COVID V point two point one test. You have COVID four point five. Yeah, I have the old OS. Uh, I have a Windows 95 COVID test. But uh, yeah, like I know I was a close contact of somebody that had COVID recently and then I got sick afterwards. So, eh, you know, I may or may not. I don't know. I just know that I've been sick recently. Uh, but I'm feeling I'm feeling better, feeling better. Um, but yeah, so it is it is apropos that uh, we're, we're doing a covid pay-per-view at a time where I may or may not have covid uh, currently in my system. Um, so, yeah, but uh, this is, uh, of course, 
the very memorable episode of Monday Night uh, of Money in the Bank where they did the fucking uh, they put the briefcase on the top of the Titan Towers office in Stanford, Connecticut, and had everyone fight up through the WWE headquarters to get to the uh, to get to the briefcase um, and had both the men's and the women's going on at the same time, um, which honestly a tremendous fucking idea. Whoever, like, again, it, like, it doesn't always land, right? It's, like, very much like a half-hour-long comedy match, right? Mm-hmm. Like, basically exclusively pure comedy. Um, and not all of the jokes and all of the bits land, but enough of them do. Like, I had a, I had a blast watching it the first time. I remember watching it live, thinking, like, this is so fucking great. Like, obviously, the, the usual suspects that are going to hate it are going to fucking hate it. But I had a blast watching it. I think, like, again, this was an era where a lot of uncertainty. Because, honestly, I don't think they were certain that they'd be able to keep running the shows during, like, this entire pandemic. Which, like, they initially, you know, they brought Triple H to say, hey, we're going to keep going. But we know this was the era where a lot of people and a lot of COVID was going around WWE. No matter how many uh, factors they put into it. They only got to be able to really do them still was because like they were able to get fucking Ron DeSantis to declare WWE to be an essential business, <laughs> which is why. So they were able to keep running at the performance center. And that's why AEW was able to keep running at Daly's place in Jacksonville. Um, it was because they literally like, I mean like Vince McMahon, you know, uh, you know, he made a, probably a, a generous campaign donation uh, for they, you know, he 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 put some money in the super pack for that one. No, really, like, you know. Well, L- L- Linda was not Linda part of Trump's cabinet? Linda was in the Trump. I mean, it was. I don't know if it was technically a cabinet position, but he was like in a. She had an appointed. Not she the, was like the head of the Small Business Association or some shit, which is like. Okay, like WWE, very much not a small business. I don't know what the no. fuck she knows about small businesses. And, and not that Linda and Vince have a tight connection anyway. Yeah, they've supposedly actually like not really practically been together for like decades. Hmm. Uh, but uh, she did kick him in the balls once on TV and it was really funny. Um, but yeah, like I remember watching it. I think you and I had the same reaction when we watched it live that like, again, this, you know, like it was I, I had a blast watching it. And then I like just watching it again this morning again, had a really good time. Like a lot of it's again, a lot of it is like Vince comedy. Like, you know, there's some stuff in there that, you know, that like, hey, like over time, we've watched so much of this shit that you kind of know what Vince is, thinks is funny. Um, and there's a decent bit of it that is straight up Vince comedy. Uh, but a lot of shit's very funny. And I, I just I couldn't help but watch it thinking to myself this was probably the most fun match to wrestle in ever. Yes. Like, I, I feel like that, like, I feel like, like, like you're watching, like I'm watching Daniel Bryan and he kind of has like a grin on his face the entire time. Like you <laughs> blast doing this. I think like, it's, it's great too. Cause like you could like, that's not like something you have to wrestle like a full 30 minutes for. You could like, you shoot this one scene. Cool. We're, we're doing this fight yeah. in the uh, gym. Okay. Now we have to go to the hallway and make sure this match goes on. So I think like, it's kind of like you're in a movie a little bit at the same time. You're trying to work this wrestling match. And you're probably still wrestling it like you would in any other match, but you kind of be like, okay, cool. We're going to be in this scene now. And now we're going to be in this scene. It's yeah. I think that, and you know, someone like D Bry who uh, has been making the rounds on social media for 
uh, the power play going on in good old AEW. But, it, you know, I think that there's a lot of fun that can be had. I think the finish of the match and, like, the highlights when they get to the top of the building really do show, like, they really were like, hey, we have to do this match. We're going to do it in a different way because of the whole thing. And we're just going to go nuts with anything. Any suggest? There is no such thing as a dumb suggestion here. It's it's very jarring, though, because the first half of the show is like a normal wrestling show just with no fans. Um, so it's completely silent. Like you have this match Surreal. between Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins um, for the WWE title right before the main event, which is a terrific match. And it's a match that, you know, if there was a crowd there, they would be going for it. They would be reacting big for it. I, I have no doubt whatsoever that that's a match that would have gotten over with the live crowd. Um, but there's no sound at all except what's produced by the wrestlers. And it, I just I, I, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but like this was such like. Obviously, like like covid was was terrible um, and it was terrible for wrestling, but it was also like a super fascinating time to be a wrestling fan because it's like you're witnessing this kind of weird deconstruction of what pro wrestling is, like the whole concept of it. And it was like basically every single uh, company had a different approach to like how we like deal with this and how we kind of like how we present pro wrestling without fans. Uh and it was like it was fascinating to watch like WWE, at least at first, they ended up doing the 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 Thunderdome bullshit. Remember, where they had the fans on the screens, which was a great idea, but also an awful idea, both at the same time. Yeah, um, which was awful and, you know, gave me a headache every time I looked at it. But WWE, at least at first, it was like they were telling the performers like, hey, just kind of go out and do your thing and just basically pretend there are fans there and it was very weird you know you have people basically playing to nothing and it kind of like even if you even if you aren't like a wrestler or don't know a ton about like wrestling psychology you're starting to see like it's it's like a very much a window into like how much of literally every single thing that a wrestler does in a match is for the crowd mm-hmm. right like it is to play to the crowd in some way shape or form right aew responded by like hey let's recreate the crowd by bringing in a bunch of extra wrestlers and having them be the crowd right which was which was by far the better option yeah because then you can like like because they were like you know providing a lot of energy and then you can kind of play into different things with that uh ring of honor i remember ring of honor and fucking going out of business because of covid but they i think hit on what was like the best presentation of wrestling during a no fans era was like they did a super like stripped down super fucking sports focused style where it was like let's just get a bunch of really good fucking wrestlers and have them do like really good technical matches and then like really just focus on it super intensely like it is like a shoot sport and that is how we are like presenting it and that was like honestly i thought the best product even though unfortunately nobody watched it and it went out of business but like i fucking loved roh during during the pandemic but like you also had sprinkled through it you know the this was like the golden age of the cinematic match right impact impacts wrestling wrestle house yeah wrestle house was yeah tna did wrestle house which was fucking insane yeah that was fucking hilarious but it's like yeah 
we we don't have a crowd. What does that mean for wrestling? What is pro wrestling when there's no crowd? And the answer is like, you can kind of do whatever the fuck. Like you're you are freer to do whatever the fuck you want. Like whatever really stupid ideas you've ever thought of, you can do. You know, like it's it's crazy because like, you know, normally like if you if you did a Money in the Bank pay per view. And then you had for the money in the bank match, like the fans in the arena had to sit there and watch it on the screen for a half hour. They would hate that. You know, they would fucking leave. But you don't have to give a shit about them. They're not there. <laughs> so you can do whatever the fuck you want and you can get super fucking high concept and super like like again, you can do something like 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 the we love the Firefly Funhouse match between Cena and Bray, right? Well, I think probably and, still the best match of the pandemic. Or at least it most interesting even, story. And it's not even a match really. But like this is the only time in history that you could ever do that. Mm-hmm. Ever. You could ever do anything like that and get away with it. So it's like it was like a time where it was like, hey, we got to hey, we got to do something to keep people engaged because it is a very awkward situation. Like, again, watching people do pro wrestling without fans like. It's it's worse than the alternative, right? You want to have a crowd wrestling is for the crowd, but it like it's like, hey, we have this time where we have no other options. We got to do this. So let's just let's just get all of our shit in right now. Let's like get all of our fucking stupid ideas out right now and just like let, let's just let's just load them up, you know. Um, so you got you got all this crazy shit going on and it was it was it was it was an insane time to be a wrestling fan. I feel like Money in the Bank 2020, this like just completely is encapsulates all of the good and the bad of COVID wrestling in one show. A hundred percent. Yeah. So. My my very long uh, monologue on this uh, basically is just me signaling like, hey, I'm I'm ready to fucking remember some guys here, dude. Let's remember some guys and like the lack of fans. Yeah, <laughs> much m- many fewer, fewer guys in general than normal uh, because there's nobody in the fucking arena. You remember Jackson Riker, dude? Oh, my God. <laughs> we fucking started on that freak. But yeah, uh, I, I'm ready to remember some fucking guys. So it is May 10th, 2020. We are at an empty WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. And later on, we are at Titan Towers in Stamford, Connecticut. We are supposed to be at the uh, Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. But... COVID-19, Anthony Fauci and his fucking death virus have swept through the country and uh, we have no fans in attendance. We're not allowed to do anything. I'm sitting on my fucking couch all day. I I've, I think I had gotten furloughed from my job at this point. I got furloughed. I am literally doing nothing all goddamn day and it sucks. Um, it, was fun, it was fun for a week. It was fun. I, you know, listen, I, I, I work from home now and I don't ever want to go back to working in an office ever again. I love it. But the difference is I get paid to sit at home now. (laughs) And if I want to go outside and do shit, I can't. 
That those are the two big differences. Otherwise, yeah, I sit on my ass all day. It fucking rules. Um, but yeah, COVID nineteen pandemic has required everyone to get creative in pro wrestling and kind of reimagine and and really reckon with what is pro wrestling with no fans. Uh, and here now we're going to do some wacky shit in the main event, two money in the bank matches at the same time taking place at Titan towers with the cases on top of the roof. And also, uh, most of a normal wrestling card in an empty, totally silent performance center. And it's really fucking, (laughs) um, We've got the two booths for SmackDown and Raw. We got Michael Cole, Corey Graves on the call for SmackDown matches. And for Raw, we've got Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, and Samoa Joe, who should be wrestling, should be should be doing commentary. Not that, it, it, but it is the weirdest thing now seeing Samoa Joe on TV regularly wrestling matches versus how he got used at the end of WWE. I know he had some issues with concussions, but it's just the weirdest thing because that guy still goes. Yeah, it's Samoa Joe. He's he's still awesome, you know? Like, you have one of the great wrestlers of the last 25 years. Um, and his last his last appearance in WWE was uh, the rain delay WrestleMania. Remember that one? He was, like, out there doing the, like, uh, fucking, um, like, the the pre-show gimmick with like, like the, like the sitting around the table. With yeah. Like a and stuff. That was his last appearance in WWE. And now he's back just fucking killing it. Oh, Christ. Killing it. Like he never fucking left. Um, but yeah, we did have a, uh, Cesaro, Jeff Hardy pre-show match, uh, that Dave Meltzer reports was pretty good. um, and we're going to start off with a four-way uh, match, on first match on the broadcast. This is a short broadcast. It's only like two hours and 14 minutes. Extremely so. I remember us talking about that after, like, live. Yeah, because there's just not that much they got going on. And, you know, for all I know, like, people aren't available because of, obviously, like, you know, there's a pandemic going on. You know, you're probably not going to have your full roster available for this kind of shit. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a brief show. It's only, you know, six matches. Um, only like two of them and, and that inc- including the money in the bank matches, but then there's two of them going on at the same time. Uh, you only have, I think two matches that really get more than like 10, 12 minutes. Um, so but we start off four way match for the SmackDown tag team titles. We are intro to the broadcast by Big E on the mic yelling, Oh, people at home, a charisma that exceeds there. the weirdness. Yeah, very weird. Um, it is the champions, the New Day team of Kofi Kingston and Big E. God damn, I miss Big E more and more every fucking day, to be honest with you. And he needs to have the Edge Christian run in like five years. Uh, he has to come back. This it, it can't. His story can't be over, David. He suffered, obviously, a horrible injury. And while it seems like he's doing okay, is he ever going to get cleared to wrestle? I don't know. When, when, when's that going to happen? Who knows? But like the fact that we're watching Edge Christian wrestle, we're watching Shibata wrestle after he almost fucking died, like died on the floor of fucking sumo hall. Um, like, yeah, like we, he'll probably be back. Relate, related to Biggie, did you see that they're doing a Ridge Holland broke Ilya Dragunov's neck angle in NXT? Ooh, uh, mm, literally Ridge Holland doing the same spot that he broke Biggie's neck like that. 
I don't know. I've heard from people. I've actually actually heard from somebody that knows Ridge that like Ridge after the injury was like devastated. I don't like, doubt that. No, I, 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 he seems like a small guy. Yeah, I know. By all accounts, he's a really nice, nice guy. He just botched the fucking move, you know, <laughs> in a horrible way. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I don't know, man. Uh, I hope I hope they got everyone's uh, all the appropriate people sign off if that's what they're doing because yeah, they they taped that right it hasn't aired yet yeah. Uh, yeah I guess we'll see I guess we'll see what it looks like um, but yeah I don't, I don't like that at all um, but yeah four way tag match for the SmackDown tag titles uh, it is Kofi and Biggie representing the New Day we've got the Lucha House Party team of Grand Metalik and Lince Dorado we've got the the Miz and John Morrison. And then try these motherfuckers on for size. The Forgotten Sons. Who? I, I forgot. Who. <laughs> uh, Steve Cutler, Wesley Blake, and their hulking QAnon freak enforcer um, who recently quit wrestling to become a cop. And this is exactly the motherfucker that you want to become a cop, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, Jackson Riker, a total fucking psycho. Just like, I mean, like, there's like a reputation of like a lot of the like Orlando like area, like, you know, WWE people of kind of like being sort of QAnon freaks a little bit, like a little bit like. Well, there's that one ref. There's this guy. There was the one ref, Drake, Drake Younger, who is a a a longtime deathmatch guy, CZW guy who became a ref and undoubtedly has uh, suffered incredible amounts of head trauma. So I don't know if that explains why he's 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 that much of a psycho, but like. Yeah, this this is like one of the guys that gave them the reputation of that. I, this guy is an insane person. Um, but yeah, the Forgotten Sons, who I, is their gimmick like that? They're like paramilitary guys. Like, yeah, it's like, hey, you know, they forgot about the veterans kind of thing. Yeah, which. OK, by the way, Steve, uh, isn't Steve Cutler now Steve Blake in TNA? Steve Cutler is Steve Macklin. Macklin. He's like the one of the guys who's like really still wrestling. Um, and, and Cutler is a guy that or Macklin is a guy that like, yeah, he's like been pushed pretty well in TNA. If you had watched him in WWE, would have, you have never would never have really known that the guy's actually really good. Like guy guy's actually a, a really, really good worker. Um, he just kind of didn't really ever get the opportunity to show it when he was in WWE. He doesn't stand out that much in WWE. No, I, I remember when TNA brought him in. I was like, yeah, really? This this guy? Like, I, I didn't really kind of I didn't really get why this was one of the guys that they were jumping on. And then I started watching him actually wrestle. And I was like, oh, no, this guy's actually really good. It was just kind of a secret for a long time. Um, but yeah, uh, Riker retired and Blake was wrestling. Um, you know, uh, Wesley Blake, who is best known for being in the Blake and Murphy tag team with Buddy Murphy and NXT. Which was the team that like Alexa Bliss got her start in WWE as like their like kind of cheerleader. Um, he has him wrestling because I know his his uh, I think his wife passed away. Right. Uh, his wife, who was the former Tough Enough winner, who was in NXT. She died like very young, like last year. And they have like young kids. So uh, best of best of uh, best of luck to, to him and his family because that shit was really fucking sad. But yeah, like color color is going and he's still fucking killing it. Um, he's married to uh, Deanna Peraza, which honestly good for him. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, this match is pretty entertaining. 
so you know you got you got you got some guys in here who can really go and you know they they do a lot of spots um moves at a pretty good pace for about 12 minutes it's fun uh grand metalik former iwgp intercontinental champion grand metalik uh he does some cool spots early um Double handspring back elbow to the Forgotten Sons. He hits a Spanish fly on John Morrison off the top rope to the floor onto everyone, which like they they kind of like cleverly set it up. Like when you when you go back and you watch it, it's like they dumped everybody out of the ring except for Metalik and Morrison, like to like the same side of the ring, like just kind of over the course of the previous like minute. And you kind of didn't really notice it. Like, it wasn't really obvious what they were going for. And then when Metal League hits the Spanish fly off the top rope and lands on everyone, you're like, oh, shit, where did everyone sh- – where, where the fuck – like, <laughs> where did all these dudes come from? Yeah. And then see- you think about it and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. He dumped all these guys and then he did this and he did this and then they all ended up out there. It sneaks up on you because a lot of times they do it and it's super freaking obvious, like in the War Games match. See all the like the, the the camera always catches all the dudes standing below them, like staring up, like oh no, they're gonna do the thing. And like no, like the camera hides it the whole time until the last second when he actually lands on. It. I, I really liked the way they did that. Um, Metalik is wearing a mask that has just his face covered, and he's got this really long hair coming out the back, which Corey Graves notes correctly makes him look just like fucking Juventud Guerrera. <laughs> uh, they, the Suns cut him off. They beat him up for a while. Um, eventually, Metalik uh, hits a Tornado DDT, tags in Lince Dorado. Lince Dorado hits a bunch of moves. Um, he hits a springboard moonsault into the ring. He does the drop salt combo where he drop kicks the Miz into a moonsault on John Morrison, which was really cool. He hits one of my favorite moves. Uh, shout out Dragon Kid. He hits the Dragon Rana on Morrison, the springboard front flip into a uh, like a like a Hurricane Rana pin. One of the coolest moves ever. Um, hits that on Morrison, but Wesley, Bra- uh, Wesley Blake breaks it up. And then, you know, we get a bunch of moves from everybody. Uh, New Day gets a bunch of moves. Uh, they hit a uh, Kofi hits like a double pop up stomp on the Miz and Morrison. Boom drop on the Miz. Uh, he goes for Trouble in Paradise. Miz catches it. Um, that leads to Cutler tagging in. New Day hits uh, Cutler with a power bomb double stomp combo for a big near fall. Then the Forgotten Sons hit like a double stomp reverse DDT on Big E for a, for a near fall. Eventually, the heels get cleared out. The Miz and Morrison hit all their moves. Morrison hits Starship Pain on Big E, uh, but the pin gets broken up. You got a bunch of guys running in and out, hitting a bunch of moves. Uh, Lince hits his uh, handspring stunner. Uh, I think he, I can't remember what he called it, but it was like his finisher. It was like a handspring back into a stunner. Um, Metalik hits a top rope Rana. Lince hits a diving splash. Metalik hits a rope walk into a diving elbow on Big E for their like big near fall. Then Big E clears the suns out, pops Kofi up over the ropes into a dive on on Blake. Then uh, Riker gets involved. Riker pulls Big E out of the ring. And this is something that annoyed me. So we get... Jackson Riker, the fucking, you know, the, the, the muscle enforcer for Forgotten Sons getting involved and in pulling Big E out of the ring. Uh, and then the referee ejects him from ringside, which it's a four way. It's no DQ. He's allowed to do that. Referee over fucking stepping here. 
Uh, but then we go to the finish. Lucha guys hit big double dive on all the heels. And then Metalik springboards in onto Biggie. Biggie catches him, rolls through. Kofi hits the trouble of paradise on Lindsay Dorado. And then Biggie hits the big ending on Metalik. And the New Day retain the titles. 11 minutes, 59 seconds. A lot of fucking spots. Entertaining match. Flowed pretty well, I thought. Yeah, very fun. Had all the high spots. Um, Miz and Morrison's near fall, where you have Miz hitting the skull-crushing finale immediately into Morrison hitting Starship Pain, was a great near fall spot, like a great hope spot. I was like, oh shit, this could be the finish of the match, and I'm ready for it. And, you know, obviously the pain gets broken up. Then you had the Lucha House Party hit their stuff, which again, did not feel the same, like, urgency, but, you know, Metal Leak bouncing on the ropes is always cool. Uh, and then ultimately, the you know, the New Day finishing up with the, by the way, a great looking Trouble in Paradise by Kofi, a move that doesn't always look great, but he got all of it here and then a big ending. Super fun. Like you said, they set up the spots really well. The ref spot with Riker kind of stands out like a sore, sore thumb because like, hey, it's a four, it's a fatal four way. Uh, n- no real DQs here. Why are you rejecting a guy? I guess there's some integrity you could kind of cite, but it's very dumb. He can do what he wants. Very subjective. If uh, wanted to hit the ring with a gun, and I, Lord knows, he probably had one on him. He could. He can do that. That's legal. I actually thought everyone, like everyone here in this match, pulled their way. It wasn't like there's that one team that you look at. You're like, I don't really see it here. I'll tell you what, though. MVP of this match is Metalik. Metalik was out there for a long time in this match. Like he was. He started the match, and I don't think he tagged out to like seven minutes in. Yeah. So, you know, shout out yeah. Metalik here. Metalik is in that shit like almost the whole time. He's he's yeah, he's doing a lot of heavy lifting in this match for sure. Yeah. I also do love the thing. Uh, my favorite thing about the COVID era was the New Day's feud with Corey Graves and how they would always throw their jackets at him. And you start this match off with Biggie throwing his jacket at Corey, knocking off yeah. his headset. Fun. Uh, yeah, no fun match. Great opener. Um, I think they like even without the crowd, like this isn't a match you need a crowd for because like it, it's just nonstop action the entire time. There's not a lot of spots where you need like uh, the chance to kind of hype up a babyface team. There's not a lot of like, oh, dead air. It's just like movement, movement, tag, moving spot, spot. And it just moves really well. Yeah, the, you're, you're right in that. This is exactly the kind of match that like like out of all the matches that were in front of the the empty arena. This is the one where it bothered me the least. Again, it's like the right kind of match that will make you forget about the fact that there's no crowd. Because, again, yeah, there's there is uh, there's just shit happening every five seconds. And, you know, you got a bunch of guys coming in and out, hitting each other with a bunch of moves and doing big high spots. And you're 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 focusing on that. And not the fact like you don't even really have time to think about how there's no fans here and how how weird it is. Again, like the other the other thought, the other the other way that it really worked was, again, I talk about Ring of Honor where it's like they're doing very, very technical, like really intricate, like technical wrestling. And you're kind of focusing on all the little intricacies of what they're doing rather than like worrying about that there's no fans like those are the two kinds of like 
matches I found that it like really works with there no being no crowd. Like it doesn't bother you that there isn't a crowd. I actually th- I'm thinking back on this entire card. I can't recall a lot of spots that were like submission spots. I think Bailey is the only one that broke out of submission. But for the most part, there's not a lot of like we'll, we'll say I'm going to use the term rest holds for the lack of better term. But like there's not a lot of even submissions. Like I guess Seth Rollins has like, like a submission transition where he there's puts one, Drew one sequence in the Seth Rollins Drew match early on and then yeah like there's one or two little spots in the Bailey match where she's I mean she's working the leg so yeah. that she, she does that a little bit um but yeah th- there's there's not a, there's not a lot of that but it's just not really the WWE style you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah but f- super fun match uh again everyone here pulled their weight Miz and Morrison by the way great team that doesn't ever like you always forget them until you see them on the screen. You're like, oh, yeah, this team made so much sense. I can't believe they didn't, weren't more successful. It's Johnny TV, folks. Hey, did you see the Did you see the promo between Johnny TV and uh, Dalton Castle where it was just them yelling the names of TV shows at each other? I did not, but that was, sounds incredible. It was so badass. It probably is shaping up to be one of the greatest feuds in the history of wrestling. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, fun match. Again, like you said, exactly the kind of wrestling match. That will go over great, even without a crowd, because um, we will we will get to something that will will not go over great, even if there is a crowd, <laughs> but is even worse without a crowd pretty soon. Um, we get a uh, God, remember Lacey Evans. We get a Lacey Evans promo. Um, I never asked for one. She cuts a promo about the Money in the Bank match, which she's in. She cuts it while applying makeup. Um, and she promises that she has memorized the entire blueprint to Titan Tower uh, in order to win this match and win the money in the bank, which, honestly, I do your fucking homework. I mean, listen, we're all sitting on our ass anyway. I don't know how she got the blueprints to Titan Towers because, like, again, I, I doubt that that's information that's really publicly available online, but she promises that she has, so... Uh, we'll see. I actually really liked her gimmick. It's a shame she couldn't work, though. Yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan. Um, but yeah, I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, and we, then we get a Drew McIntyre promo with uh, Charlie Caruso, who's now like a Fox News psycho, apparently. That's right. I forgot you uh, went to Fox News. Yeah. He cuts a promo. He is the WWE champion. He's just won the title, the previous WrestleMania, unfortunately, in front of nobody. Um and he is defending it for the first time against Seth Rollins tonight. And he promises to break Seth Rollins' jaw with his Claymore kick. Um listen. You're gonna make a you're gonna make a, a, a little a little comedic jab at the fact that there are no fans. How about you get our truth, whose whole gimmick is that he's completely uh, divorced from reality, to just play like he doesn't realize there's no there's no fans here. Our truth comes out. And he does his whole entrance. He does his whole rapping entrance. He's rapping to nobody. He's like lifting the mic up for the non-existent fans. Which is, <laughs> uh, by the way, completely on brand for our truth. It's completely it fits his gimmick. And you know, if there's anyone who can pull it off, it's our truth. Um, he gets in the ring and he yells, "Yeah, make some noise!" He holds the ring. He holds the mic up, and then he goes, "Yeah, that's what I'm talking about." What's up? <laughs> <laughs> um. He is going to wrestle MVP, who is MVP still employed by WWE? Do we know this? Is he still on? Is he still? Is he still employed? I think so. 
He's probably a producer at this point. He is currently signed to WWE. I mean, like, we haven't seen Omos at all recently. He was doing the Omos thing. Where the fuck has Omos been? Dude, at WWE at this point, like, it's always weird. Like, hell, Lashley and the Street Profits barely get TV time. Like, I mean, they at least get on TV. Like, I see the, I see them wrestle. You know, it's like I was gonna, I was gonna talk about this later with Braun Strowman. Like, what the fuck is up with him? Where well, this? He had neck surgery. I'm pretty sure he's still recovering from that. Did he really? I'm pretty, like, I'm 90 percent certain. He just had like uh, a documentary oh, come out about him. Yeah, you're right. He got neck surgery. Okay, that makes sense. But it's like, okay, where the fuck is MVP at? I want to see this motherfucker. MVP he can talk. Although, uh, not, although this promo he cuts on Truth is not very good. So yeah, it's supposed to be MVP versus our Truth. Um. MVP coming out in his like his like cool ass like Black Panther gear. Always thought that gear looked really cool. Oh yeah. Um, MVP. This is before they got super obsessed with changing everybody's old theme. Um, so MVP is still coming out to his like original like 2007 SmackDown theme, the Silk the Shocker theme, which is a classic theme, like one of my favorite themes. Um, and he comes out, and our truth says, you know what? I'm going to teach you how to ball. Uh, and then he starts just cutting a promo where he is describing the rules of the game of basketball to MVP. He's playing basketball. MVP <laughs> responds by call him a quote fake young thug looking offset future looking ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that was not good. I loved it. I thought it was funny. Then Bobby Lashley, who uh, MVP had been managing, Bobby Lashley's music hits. This is pre Hurt Business, I believe. Correct. Um, but uh, MVP had been with Lashley. Lashley's music hits. He takes the mic from MVP. He says, I got this one. Take the night off. R-Truth says, oh, yeah, okay, I'll take the night off, too. Lashley says, uh, no, you're not. Lashley does the fucking, like, remember that, like, Jack Stewie where he's just, like, getting in the way? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he says, why don't I get the night off? He is built like Jack Stewie, though. Yeah, he's built exactly like Jack Stewie. Um, <laughs> Truth says, you know, why don't I get the night off? Look, there's this whole great big world out there that I want to explore. He ends up like, I guess, like accidentally hitting uh, Lashley in the face. Lashley gets pissed off, goes after him. Bell rings, matches over like almost immediately. Our truth tries to do like the oh, look over there and like run away thing. But Lashley stops and Lashley kicks his ass, throws him around. Spinebuster spear pin. Uh, one minute, 43 seconds, Bobby Lashley with the squash ski on our truth Then isn't this back when like Lashley just came back to WWE or he had he been back for a minute? Because like he, he still has the back to dominate uh, Titan Tron entrance video. Yes, I honestly don't even remember, to be honest with you. Uh, let me look it up because like he had uh, returned. No, he had returned in 2018. He'd been around for about two years. Christ. Uh, yeah. Night after Mania 34. Yeah, not much to write home here. It's just Lashley in a squash. Yeah. Uh, the night after the, the the Braun Strowman and Nicholas mania, which is the one I always remember. It. <laughs> I wonder what Nicholas is doing these days. I don't know. I hope he's doing well. I hope he's doing well. He was just like one of the referee's kids. Yeah. That, so. that Nicholas grew up to be Christian Cage. Can you believe it? <laughs> Can you believe it? But yeah, uh, this was, yeah, it's just a fucking squash. I don't know. I... You knew the second R-Truth's music hit what he was going to do, you know, you knew that <laughs> while he was out there. They're going to they're going to make a little make a little make a little joke about that. Oh, there's nobody there. Yep. Uh, you know, it goes exactly as you expect it to. Th- that said, that man made the 24-7 championship not suck. Yes. The only the only I mean, listen, there was 
it was it that that belt was made for one man. You know, it was made for our truth to do his little comedy gimmicks. And honestly, you know, there's there's been a lot of there's been some big returns in WWE recently. Obviously, we have the return of Randy Orton. We had AJ Styles. AJ Swall. AJ jacked as fuck. <laughs> AJ has never looked like that in 25 years. He has never looked like he that. He looks massive. Yoked right now. Um, but honestly, there was no there was no return that had me more excited to see this person on my TV screen than our truth. I was just happy to see that motherfucker when he came back. I was just I was I'm just so happy to see him. Um we get uh King Corbin cutting a Zoom promo from what appears to be a medieval castle. Yeah, he was King Corbin at the I'm time. I'm pretty sure that was just his house. He had won the I I wouldn't be surprised. Um he had won the money in the not the money in the bank. He'd won the King of the Ring. And so, of course, as is tradition, he's got to do the fucking stupid ass king gimmick. So now he cuts this promo. He says he is going to become King Money in the Bank. What a shit fucking nickname that would be. Yeah, no, King Corbin, like, yeah, he's got the king gimmick. The problem is that the king gimmick did nothing to change the character. He was still Baron Corbin. Yeah. Just with a crown. Had a crown. Yeah. (laughs) Which is just just as uninteresting as he almost always is. But I think his NXT runs been fine. Um, although he had probably about like he probably and this is not saying the match was bad or anything because I thought it was good, but it was like the worst one. It was like the worst match of Ilya's like title run. Yeah, they, like all of them were like 10 out of 10 amazing. And then this one with Corbin was like, yeah, it's good, but like it's not incredible. You know, I think Cor- like I, I I still like Corbin. And I still think like the role for him is gatekeeper heel is oh, like role for him. Yeah, that's the role for him. Uh, it, It's just like. He's never quite figured out the character that works outside of bum-ass Corbin. And unfortunately, bum-ass Corbin is completely opposite of Gatekeeper. Yeah. Bum-ass Corbin was fucking great, though. It was the only time I've ever really loved, uh, only ever really been in, in uh, like, like just really invested in him. They could have done a whole fucking story with that shit, man. Uh, well, it's what it is. So, uh, boy, here's some shit we got going on. Bailey is Your favorite. The SmackDown. I Listen. Love Bailey. Great. No, no, I'm not talking about Bailey. Um, Sasha Banks is there looking impeccable as always. Um, I don't have an issue with them. I mean, it's it's we've got. Boy, I, I, I you know, I've spent a lot of time, I feel like an abnormal amount of time. The last uh, few episodes we've had talking shit about Tamina. And again, I'm sure that she is a lovely lady. But. Man, oh, man, am I not asking to watch her in, in, in like a title match on a pay-per-view? Yeah, it is. It is Bailey defending the SmackDown Women's title against Tamina. Um, we have before this maybe some uh, some seeds of discord a little bit in recent weeks between Bailey and her best friend Sasha Banks. Uh, we have a promo where, where uh, the interviewer Kayla Braxton is maybe trying to sow a little bit of doubt in between the two of them, but Bailey refuses to to even acknowledge it. It is time to go. It is Bailey who is uh, the the heel champion defending against the uh, the babyface challenger Tamina. So obviously you have the you know the the often difficult dynamic to pull off of a smaller heel champion against kind of a bigger powerhouse challenger who is nevertheless the underdog, right? Um, very difficult 
to pull off. And let's be real here. Tamina is not good enough to pull that shit off. Thing about Tamina, I've talked shit about her many times. There's no one Mina? There's no one Mina. (laughs) Um, I've talked shit about her many times on this podcast, you know, especially by the fact that she is a nepotism job. And the only reason that she still has a job in WWE is the fact uh, that her father, I mean, she's still employed by WWE, I believe, right? I believe so. She'll probably be employed for until she says bangs it up. Doesn't wrestle ever. Anyway. Spend enough time talking about her, but I'll just say this. I have talked a lot of shit about her many times this podcast, but now that I'm watching her have like an actual like 10 minute long singles match for a title, a match with some stakes. I'll say this as a baby face. She never shows any fire or emotion whatsoever. Nothing to to get you invested in her. But at the very least, she's also very slow and boring. Uh, This match sucks. Um, Tamina uses her, you know, she's she's a a big powerhouse woman. Um, Uses that to take advantage early on, but Bailey trips her, goes after the leg, throws the leg against the post, works over the leg for most of her heat. Um, There's a spot where Tamina fights back, throws a super kick. Bailey catches it, drops her into a knee bar. Um... There's a spot where Bailey goes for a Samoan drop. Like Bailey literally actually tries to pick Tamina up on her shoulders to hit the Samoan drop. And obviously Tamina's too big and she like crumbles under the weight. Um, and then Tamina just lays there and doesn't do anything. And then Bailey just gets back up after a little while. She like sells it for a little bit and then gets back up and starts working over the legs some more. Like Tamina literally just lays there like a, like a dead fish. Um, eventually, uh, Bailey, Talks too much shit, throws a bottle of water in Tamina's face, and eventually that, that wakes Tamina up, gets her pissed. She gets her comeback. She throws her around the barricade. She does the uh the like the the JD Drake like rebound clothesline on the outside where you grab the person, throw them into the ropes from from the floor, and they bounce back into a clothesline. Objectively, probably the best thing I've seen Tamina ever do was that. Like that, like that spot again. JD Drake does it every match. It's actually something I've considered stealing in the past. I think you could. Um, it's, it's, it's a cool spot. I, I like the spot. Um, she does a super kick through the ropes to the floor, throws her over the announce table where you get to see really for the first time how big Michael Cole's suit is <laughs> I'm looking like David Byrne and stop making sense with that big ass suit. Um, but yeah, so you get to see the big suit, which is nice, nice treat. Um, she goes for a diving splash, uh, you know, the, the super fly splash, um, Bailey's able to get the feet up, but Tamina stops herself in time, hits a super kick, hits the Samoan drop, goes for the, or is about to go for the pin, but Sasha Banks saves the day. Sasha starts climbing into the ring and that is able to like stop Tamina from like, like it distracts Tamina long enough that Bailey's able to, you know, recover because then Tamina, you know, like an idiot has to, you know, Get out of the ring and chase Sasha around. Um, Sasha, who's wearing heels and can barely move in the heels. Tamina is struggling to keep struggling yeah. to keep up with her as she, Sasha is running in heels. Insane to watch. <laughs> but then, yeah, eventually she gets back in the ring, is able to get a hold of Bailey, goes for another Samoan drop. But Bailey is able to reverse it into a crucifix. Bailey gets the pin and wins the match. Ten minutes and twenty nine seconds. Bailey retains afterward. Like, I, I thought it was funny how they did this because she gets her up for the Samoan drop. Bailey just drops her straight into the, the crucifix. 
And then afterwards, like the match ends, and then Tamina just stands right back up with Bailey on her. It's like, all right, I'm gonna hit it this time, which I actually kind of liked. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and then uh, like they, they never separate at all. She just stands right back up, which is like, oh, I got you this time, bitch. But then uh, Sasha's able to get in and save her, and the heels scramble away, um, and uh, Bailey wins the match. Yeah, one of the MVPs of the entire COVID run was the two woman power trip because that was always just must see TV. Whenever they were on screen. Um, also hard to believe we're almost at four years now of Heel Bailey. Uh, still st- still oh, the weirdest shit face, ever. Face turn is obviously coming. Oh, it's a, it's 100% coming. At a- um, they tried. They really tried. Bailey tried so hard to be the most detestable heel possible in this match to generate any sympathy for Tamina. Sasha being obnoxious as well, w- which also really helped the match because you heard Sasha's like cheering, understanding the assignment to make sure that there's some kind of sound going on with this match. Um, like I mentioned before, the clothesline off the bottom rope was objectively probably the most interesting spot Tamina has ever been in in her life. Uh, but also, like, they, you know, they really tried to kind of get her to get that sympathy with the water bottle spot, which is super kind of funny to watch really close because you could see it's Bailey not even really taking any sips from it to not get backwashed into the water bottle and before throwing it into Tamina's face. Just very kind of like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's still a pandemic and you're putting your mouth on something and then throwing it in someone's face. Uh, yeah, j- just, you know, classic, classic COVID shenanigans. But. Yeah, not it's also it's also very much like like we still kind of don't really understand how COVID works because it's yeah. like you don't want to like drink the water bottle and throw it on her. But it's also like you're in a wrestling match with each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I feel like a better version of that would be her actually drinking from the water bottle and just throwing the water bottle at Tamina. Yeah, just, I don't know. But, you know, you want you want the effect of all the water going everywhere. It would explode. You could hit her with the water bottle, too. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um but yeah, match, uh, match. I thought it sucked. Bailey yeah. tried. Bailey tried. <laughs> Bailey, yeah, Bailey did try, and obviously Bailey, um, Bailey, Bailey, good worker. You know, um, has has lost a step at this point. You know, she's had a lot of injuries, but you know, is still, still a, uh, you know, still a ring general in there. And yeah, she's trying her best, but like Tamina just. Tamina brings nothing to the fucking table. Tamina just gives her nothing to work with. And it's just, it's, it's pretty brutal, man. It's pretty brutal, but you know, it's, 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 it doesn't have the lowest uh, Meltzer score on the show. Surprisingly Meltzer gave this match one and a half stars. um, And then he gave the next match, our WWE universal title match. He gave that a a dud ranking like he literally spelled out the word dud and we're gonna get to that i actually i actually agree with melter i think i would switch it around personally i liked the next match better than the tamina match but i also am uh biased against tamina and maybe i just miss bray wyatt enough that you know i'm I'm willing to look through rose-colored glasses a little bit um but yeah that that I, i thought the next match was goofy but better um We'll get to that in just a second. We do have a uh, Seth Rollins promo. The Monday Night Messiah gimmick. I had honestly kind of forgotten about that uh, that character. Because it's still kind of going. Like, he he, he evolved to yeah. Joker Seth from Messiah Seth. It did transform over time into Joker Seth. Uh, but I, I had kind of forgotten about this gimmick a little bit. Um, How can you forget but- Rey Mysterio losing his eye? 
Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Well, Rey Mysterio is going to lose his life a little bit later. Um, <laughs> so, we've got we've got uh, the Seth promo. Uh, it's a pretty perfectly good promo. You know, he he says uh, tonight I'm going to unburden Drew McIntyre because this is not his show to lead into the future. It's my duty. It's the Monday Night Messiah to lead this company as uh, as world champion. I forgot how dry early Messiah Seth was because this is a, it, like it's a good promo, but it's also just very dry. Yeah, and also uh, I'm used to that motherfucker being dripping wet. Yes, dry as shit. <laughs> usually, usually all the Shield boys were dripping. I mean, holy fuck, uh, you know. But yeah, uh, that's two, two with water, one with blood. Yeah, that's coming up. Uh, best looking match on the show and it, it delivers it's a good match but yeah universal title match is next it is a story that goes back to I, I honestly like I totally forgot about this Braun Strowman title reign which happened about four years too late um, story going back to Braun Strowman's days in the Wyatt family when he first started on the WWE main roster and he came up as the big fucking hulking heater of the uh, of the W of, of the of the Wyatt family, Swamp Beast. Rest in peace, of course, to the great Luke Harper, uh, Brody Lee, Ta- uh, John Huber, who uh, I believe it was his birthday yesterday. Yes, it was uh, when we were recording this on uh, Sunday, December seventeenth. So again, I fucking miss that man so goddamn much. Um, but yeah, um, and a- another guy that uh, that uh, we all miss very much. Is his opponent, the late great Bray Wyatt, uh, who is not wrestling this match as the fiend. He's wrestling it as like uh, red sweater firefly funhouse Bray Wyatt. He's he's not he's not doing full evil here. Um, it is Bray versus Braun for the Universal Title. Um, bell rings and Bray, like I guess the story of this match is is Bray is kind of trying to bring this lost sheep of the Wyatt family back into the fold trying to reunite with Braun Strowman and the, the bell rings and Bray tries to, to give Braun a big hug and welcome him back welcome him back to the family but Braun shoves him away and Braun overpowers him throws him around they do the spot where you know Braun you know they Every match where Braun runs around the side of the ring and shoulder blocks someone into the barricade. You know, he always does. You know, they always, you know, uh, when, when Vince got really unhinged, he started doing the stupid ass like train, the, the train whistle sound effect while he was doing it. That was so fucking stupid. Um, Braun tries to do the run at him, but Bray sidesteps him and he goes tumbling over the announce table. Braun gets heat or Bray gets heat on Braun for a while. Um the only fans in the crowd that appear are the Firefly Funhouse puppets who start popping up at ringside and cheering on uh, Bray Wyatt while he's getting heat on Braun. And so I guess I guess it's inaccurate to say that there's zero attendance because there's actually like four people in attendance. You've got Mercy the Buzzard. You've got uh, Huskus the Pig. Sister right? Abigail. Sister Abigail. Um, there's another Ramblin one. Ramblin' Rabbit. Ramblin' Rabbit. I forgot about Ramblin' Rabbit. Yeah, they're like the only four fans in attendance here. Um, so actually, f- a, a total attendance of four. Four, four, uh, four puppets. Evil, four evil spirit puppets here at the, at the Performance Center. Uh, Bray gets heat for a while. Um, hits Braun with a DDT on the floor. Tornado DDT up the middle rope. Eventually, at the end of this, it works up to him hitting his finisher, Sister Abigail. But Braun kicks out of that. 
Goes for a second Sister Abigail, but Braun reverses it, hits a choke slam, gets his big comeback, does the floor run this time, hits it, shoulder tackles him into the barricade. Bray takes that bump really well. Um, then we come to the finish. The finish is kind of weird. Um, it's obviously, obviously, they're obviously setting up for something else later on. Um, so Braun's getting back into the ring. Bray cuts him off, knocks him to the floor. And then for a second, Braun disappears underneath the ring, and he gets back up wearing his Wyatt family sheep mask that he used to wear in 2015. And Bray sees Braun wearing the sheep mask, and he is overjoyed. The prodigal son has returned. He is like almost weeping with happiness at seeing Braun once again wearing his Wyatt family mask. And Braun gets in the ring, and they embrace. Oh my God! Or has has it have have they formed back up again? Has Braun returned? No. Braun takes the sheet mask off, throws it to the ground, stomps on it. It was all a ploy to get Bray where he wanted him. And then Braun hoists him up, hits him with the running power slam, and he gets the pin. Braun Strowman retains the universal title in ten minutes and forty seconds. And afterwards, while they 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 get some. The camera focuses in on Bray lying in the corner in pain as Braun walks up the ramp, still a champion, and we get some little little flickers, little little uh, little effects. Is that, is that the fiend perhaps emerging? The fiend is going to come out and 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 try to kill Bray, uh, Braun. Are we going to get the fiend versus uh, versus Braun Strowman? Little 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 teases happening there for that. So it's obviously this match is whatever. Um, but it, it's it's explicitly serving the purpose of uh, setting up uh, a, another match with the Fiend. I get it, and you know what? Kudos to Bray because he wrestles perfectly as Sweater Bray, like which is not someone th- something we ever really saw with the Firefly Funhouse gimmick. But this is also, excuse me, a six month period where. Before it was Goldberg as Universal Champion because he squashed the shit out of the Fiend in Saudi Arabia. Yes, he did. A, 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 a true nightmare. <laughs> the, a true nightmare of a fucking uh, a, a day that was. Which butchered the Fiend gimmick forever because the Fiend got squashed. Yeah. Goldberg has the title and is supposed to be facing Roman at Mania. Roman cancels Mania because he has, you know, he recovering from leukemia, has a weakened immune system, doesn't want to f- mess around with COVID. So then Braun gets the spot. Braun wins because Goldberg clearly isn't going to be wrestling long term for WWE during this entire thing. And it was about time for him to disappear anyway. So you have Braun, who doesn't really have a thing other than the fact that he destroyed the shit out of Goldberg. And that's it. As a universal champion. Yeah. And then they do this entire weird story with Bray, which like I get what they're going for. But I think either because there's no crowd or because of, like how forced it is, it doesn't just it doesn't feel right. Like this would have felt so much better as a story where Bray is still champion and Braun is the guy fighting him for the championship rather than Braun yeah. being champion and defending it from Bray. Yeah, I, I always appreciate continuity. In wrestling, so like I, 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 I got it. I thought the idea of this being the feud made sense, but yeah, whether it was because of the the no crowd or whatever, because I mean, part of the the appeal of the fiend character was the way the crowd reacted to him was was the was the the way the crowd was was really hooked into 
the development of the Firefly Funhouse just world and the development of that character. Um, and then obviously it got completely ruined by the booking, but like that was like the main attraction with that or one of the main attractions uh, of it. Um, here where you just have this and it's totally silent. It's just, you know, it, 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 it just, it didn't click. It didn't ever really click. Um, the way they, the, the, work, the work itself in this match up until the weird finish is like it's fine, you know. I think I think Bray looks I think Bray looks good in the ring, you know. All all the stuff he does looks good, um, but it just it just doesn't really come together at any point. Nothing looks bad, and I think like all, the thing I come back to as well is the fact that one with Braun doing the mask thing. It's never clear like it's a gotcha moment or a psychological thing, and like even when he stomps on it, it's like I get that's supposed to be like him saying no i'm done with this but it's not like the gotcha moment that you think it is like honestly braun taking the mask off just to laugh in bray's face and then stomp on the mask as he's laughing would have sold it a lot more than him just staring intensely through a hole and like staring a hole through him and then stomping on the mask i just thought that was like a payoff that didn't work out or not necessarily booked right i also think that the better and more interesting story that you could have told would be Braun rejoining Bray in this Firefly Funhouse and what Firefly Funhouse Braun would potentially be. I think that's a way more interesting spinning of the story than what, what the way they go here. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Uh, but, you know, there, there it's. This is a match that it's it's a placeholder. It's it's obviously setting up for this feud to continue um, and eventually involve the Fiend character and, and lead to, you know, what what ended up being a, the, the, the SummerSlam title match. Because they did. I'm looking at it right now and I'm, I'm, I'm remembering it now. Um, this would lead to. The the next pay-per-view extreme rules, they did the Wyatt Swamp fight. A cooler uh, match, but also equally weird. Yeah, one of one of the weaker ones of the, the various cinematic matches that we got during this time. Um, then we got and then that leads to the SummerSlam main event, which was the Fiend beating Strowman for the title with Roman returning with Roman returning. And then that leads to the main event of payback the following week, triple threat. Uh, yeah, which was the following week, which was fucking weird. Um <laughs> Which was, yeah, the main event of Payback, which was the start of the Roman Reigns title reign that still continues today. Because Roman Roman goes over the two of them in a triple threat. So these guys ended up main eventing the next three pay-per-views together in this feud. Um, all as a uh, vehicle to put Roman Reigns over, folks. <laughs> 1,200 days. <laughs> the end. 1,200 days and running. 1,200 days later, you probably don't remember that it started with, yeah, this Braun versus Bray uh, feud with, uh, with with Bray trying to get Braun Strowman back into the Wyatt family. Uh, it all started here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, the whole Firefly Funhouse, it was all at the end to put Roman over, uh, which that's WWE for you, folks. Anyway, hey, uh, who's the hacker? Is it Mustafa Ali? God, that was a Ever find out who the hacker was. I think it was loosely assumed to be him va- based on like how they sp- spun out retribution. Remember retribution? Uh, 
Yes, I do. That shit was crazy. <laughs> Which uh, I've seen the devil uh, group now being comp to retributions roll out, which is just like you never want to be in that territory. I, I disagree completely. I, but I, I will say my my reaction to the the devil storyline is going to depend on entirely on who the devil is. Oh, 100 percent. If it's someone good, I'll think it was great. If it's someone shitty, I'll think it's bad. That said, I'm not, I'm not against it. I'm not against it at all. I just want to, uh, you know, I, I want to see how the story plays out. That said, th- this past version of the devil looked super jacked and actually a lot more like MJF. What if it's Wardlow? I, you know, my, my, what I, what I have said the whole time is if I were booking it, I would want the devil to be Adam Cole. Yeah. That's what I would book it. That's how I would book the. That, that's how I would book it. Again, this is just me being just some fucking guy. But that's that's and and then like the henchmen are Roddy in the kingdom. Yeah. And the whole thing was just a. The whole thing was just a. Was was a mind fuck, you know. But who knows? Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the whole the whole uh, Adam Cole's ankle explodes in five hundred pieces. Uh, thing kind of throws a wrench into that. So I guess we'll see what happens. But yeah, um, I, 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 maybe we'll find out one of these days who the hacker is. Um, it's like a, it's like it's basically like the Sammy Callahan NXT gimmick that everyone thought was stupid. Um, so I didn't I, I, I didn't even realize he was in NXT at all. Yes, he was in NXT for a bit. Uh, his uh, ring name was Solomon Crow, and uh, yeah, his gimmick was that he was a hacker and he like could like he could like control like the lights and shit at the performance center or whatever or it was it was full sale at the time and he would like he would like do all sorts of like you know wacky shit you know it was always it was always like super goofy because like he pull out his phone and like hit a button and then <laughs> it looked stupid as fuck <laughs> um anyway um next up this is the standout looking match on the card it is wwe championship it is drew mcintyre defending the title against seth freaking rollins uh, and yeah, Drew McIntyre, who of course had just won the WWE title, his first ever world championship in WWE, the previous uh, month at WrestleMania, the empty arena WrestleMania. Um, and, uh, yeah, Seth Rollins is his first major opponent for this title. Uh, so Seth early on chopping away at the knee allows him to take over, get some heat he hits a bunch of he hits a bunch of aerial moves in, in his heat. He hits a couple dives. He hits a bunch of running knees, running knee off the apron, running knee off the barricade, running knee off the announce table. This spot was really cool. The start of like Drew getting back into it. He goes for another dive. Drew catches him into an overhead belly to belly where their spacing is perfect, and he lands flat directly on the announce table. Doesn't overshoot it at all. It was beautiful. Um, Drew hits another couple overhead belly to bellies in the ring, hits his spine buster jackknife pin combo for a for a near fall. Rollins comes back with a bunch of strikes, frog splash. Drew kicks out at one. We have a spot where Seth brings a chair into the ring. He's obviously thinking about using the chair here on Drew. Eventually reconsiders, gets rid of the chair, goes for the stomp, but Drew counters it. With the Glasgow kiss headbutt, which as a headbutt guy myself, Drew's got one of the better headbutts in the game right now. Not to say David Moses has a bad one. I have a pretty good one, I think. I love doing them. Honestly, headbutts are fun as shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Um, he goes up, 
Uh, Drew goes up to the top rope. Seth crotches him. Seth hits one of my favorite sequences in pro wrestling. He, he does it fucking beautifully every time. The Seth Rollins superplex float over Falcon Arrow combo is picturesque. It is gorgeous. And hitting it, it on Drew, too, just looks just insane. Never misses. It's beautiful. God, Seth Rollins is so good at fucking pro wrestling, dude. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, Drew comes back with the Future Shock DDT for a big near fall. They end up on the uh, the turnbuckle. This was a cool spot. So they end up fighting on top of the turnbuckle. Um, Seth is going after the knee. Drew ends up kind of hanging upside down out of the corner, and Seth is like standing on his knee, like really like kind of digging into it with his foot. And then Drew all of a sudden raises up suddenly, catches him, hits a big release German suplex off the top rope where Seth completely flips over and lands on his face in the ring. Basically perfect. Um, Drew goes for the Claymore. Seth catches him with a super kick. He hits the stomp, but Drew kicks out. So he kicks out of Seth Rollins' finisher. And we come to the finish here. Seth goes for another stomp, but Drew pops up, hits another Glasgow kiss headbutt, goes um, for the uh, Claymore. Seth catches him, coming in with a super kick, but then Drew bounces off the ropes, rebounds, and then hits the Claymore, and he gets the pin. In 19 minutes, 23 seconds, uh, these guys shake hands afterward. It's a very, very good match. And again, it's one of these where it it loses something because you don't have the crowd. Because this is a match that is good enough, that's very well laid out. They execute everything perfectly. They build the drama very well. And it just, you know, if this was in front of a crowd, the crowd would have been into it. Like, they would have they would have been big in on this shit. They probably would have bought huge on Seth hitting the stomp. Because uh, that's always been a pretty protected finisher, at least a lot of the time. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, no crowd. You know, very, very, uh, very, very uh, indicative of, of, of the of the entire Drew McIntyre title reign, right? It was in front of empty arenas the entire time, and it's him working his ass off, doing as good of a job as he possibly can, legitimately being one of the best wrestlers in the world. But just, you know, it's it's it it goes over flat because there's a pandemic and there's no fans in it. Fucking sucks for him. Yeah, uh, Drew, like Drew in the pandemic, was literally just a machine. He was um, a machine. He was fucking killing it the whole time. Every pro- the promos were great. The matches were great. He got the most out of every feud. And then, like, when you think he was finally going to get the run, because like he faced Lashley at the following Mania in front of a crowd with the Rain Delay Mania, and we were all like, okay, this is where they're going to put the title back on Drew, so we can get that run with the fans, and it'll be great. And then they don't pull the trigger then. And you're like, okay, that's, uh, you know, they're, they're moving all the story. Kudos to them. And then we get Roman Drew Flash in fucking cap. Wales. Wales. And it's just an insane crowd. So hot. They and were really nuts for Drew. And they're like, you know what? This is it. This is why they waited. Because now Drew gets to beat Roman, go over in his, uh, like, not home country, but, like, adjacent. And you're going to get this massive, like, hometown hero pop. And then they don't do it because Roman goes over and Roman always wins. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I I do love what they're doing with Drew right now. You said it's like some of the best heel work you've seen in some time. It is true. It's been one of the best heel turns I can remember. There's a lot of depth to the character. And I, I like he's doing a fantastic job. And I hope it ends with like 
you know, I I think I don't know what they're going to do with Punk Rollins at Mania because it's clear that's where they're going with that story. But like if you could do Drew versus Punk for that title and have Drew go over Punk. I mean, there's I think there's very little like negative, like what bigger rub could you give the guy that he hasn't already gotten? Because yeah. what, what else does Drew need at this point in his career? He's pretty much done everything you possibly could could do for a guy. He's kind of in that like Seamus position where yeah, he's, he's never had that moment. Yeah. He's had a great career. He's done everything, but it's, there's not that one thing you point to is like an iconic. Holy shit. Drew McIntyre. Remember when he did this? Yeah. He's never gotten to have that moment. And he's somebody that like, you know, deserves it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And he's, he was always somebody that even again, like, you know, Roman, Roman wins, Roman wins, Roman wins, Roman wins, Roman wins. Right. Um, Roman goes over everyone forever at all times. Roman beats Godzilla, but like one of the people, one of one of the, one of the few guys that Roman has faced during this title reign that actually felt like a threat to him was Drew. You know, well, and and I and I think you could absolutely run that back, and it would still feel the same way. If we're if we're looking retroactively and power ranking those guys, it's probably Drew one. I I I, oh, I, I have, it's it's Mania Cody one. Are you sure? I Everyone thought Cody was going to win. I, I mean, it, it logically made sense yeah. to be Cody's time, you know? Uh, I don't but. know. It just feels like the way, that, again, that, that the way that match went, though, like, I still look at the way, like, the Clash of the Castle match. I'm like, you know what? Like, I can understand the Cody loss at Mania. I think that, like, you can rationalize that. But, like, the Wales moment. It's like I don't think Sami Zayn was ever beating Roman, even though he had like, again, this insane groundswell. But man, Drew and Wales, at least for me, at least. And I no, I, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, 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 I totally see your point. I just personally for me, I think it's Mania Cody one. Mm-hmm. But then it's Drew. It's Clash at the Castle Drew two. And it's like a close two. Yeah. And then I think probably, honestly, maybe number three is uh, this is this is going back a while, a while, but maybe uh, last man standing match KO. Yes, that was an underrated one. Where they botched the handcuff spot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was one where they actually got me to bite a little bit. Like I, I actually, I, they they got me on that one. I admit, I ha- and this is stupid of me because I was a mark, but I, I I admittedly bit on the Cesaro match. Because yeah. I, I didn't really, I did not, I did not realize what they were trying to do with Roman at the time in terms of like the longevity of this title. I'm like, oh, you know, it's it's definitely different. It's definitely different. Now. Like part of the KO thing was like, yeah, like the rain hadn't gone that long yet. It yeah. was only like a few months in, right? Um, so like it seemed more conceivable that oh, he could just lose this match. At, I think it was the Rumble, right? Yeah. Like he could just lose this match to to Kevin Owens here and KO, even though even though like you know it's. They they don't KO doesn't win titles in WWE. <laughs> I don't know. Conceivably, he could do it. Um, yeah. So it's 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 a little different, but yeah. um, that's my power ranking for me. Like L.A. Knight, as over as he is, never was. Enjoy him as much as I enjoy him. Like you never felt for a second that he was going to win. No. Not even for a he, second. He unfortunately, L.A. Knight's kind of like the face version of Corbin where I kind of like I love him. And if he ever does get a world championship run, I'll be all for it. But it feels like he's going to end up being like a baby face gatekeeper for heels. 
I can see that. You know, as much as I like L.A. Knight and is is in an entertainment, he's, he's obviously over. He doesn't really do it that much for me. I I enjoyed L.A. Knight more in TNA than I do him now. I'm gonna I'm gonna make that. I, I enjoyed Eli Drake more in TNA more than I enjoyed L.A. Knight in WWE. That's that's that is my that is my hot take. But that is my truth, and I'm going to live my truth. I think half of that has to do with the fact that even with like them booking LA Knight to get a Roman match, it feels like it's been something that they've had to do, and out of a, an obligation, they do it rather than just kind of like going with the flow. Like, I love the fact that they won the Slim Jim Battle Royal, and he really did get that over more so than anyone else has ever gotten a ba- a uh, what's it called a merchandise battle royal over. A yes. sponsored battle royal over, True. but this, but at the same time, it's a sponsored battle royal. That's not that that doesn't show any kind of level of dedication. And yes. kudos to him. Like I think he's, you know, he's in the scene right now with Randy and AJ Styles, and that's great. And I, I think we 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 very much have lost base because this was a match between McIntyre and Rollins, and we're talking LA Knight. Um, a podcast about wrestling, folks. It is a podcast about wrestling. The problem with that, Get but the out of here. but like. I think he uh, uh, L.A. Knight needs to start with a U.S. title run because he was made for the U.S. title and it should be a good run like what they're giving Gunther with the IC title. It doesn't need to be that long, but it should be as memorable. And then they can go from there. But like, yeah, he was never beating Roman. Back to the uh, McIntyre, him, him, him being able to kip up has always felt unfair. A man that large should not be able to kip up. Yeah, (laughs) I'm, I'm half his fucking size and I can't do it. So, uh, yeah, f- fun match. Also, I, I, I'll shout out as well if, as we're off tracks. Uh, Seth Rollins uh, appeared on a show called Mythical Kitchen on YouTube, which is a, a he says Seth Rollins eats his last meal. And it's a very interesting interview where he just eats food that he cherishes and talks about, you know, not just wrestling, but his life. I would say if you're a Seth Rollins fan or a wrestling fan, it was a very interesting watch and would recommend it. Mythical Kitchen. Mythical Kitchen, Seth Rollins last meal. All right. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing a bunch of these. Yeah, they have one with Post Malone. Yeah, no, I, I don't watch all of them, but I saw Seth on there. I'm like, I got to watch this. And, you you know, it's uh, it's a little bit in kayfabe, a little bit about his real life. Uh, talks about some of his early days wrestling when he went by God. Hmm. All right. Yeah. No, they got some they had some big fucking celebrities on this. They had a Tom Hanks one. Yeah. Jesus Christ. OK, well, interesting. OK. Uh. You know, Seth seems like an interesting guy. Um, moving forward. Um, our truth is very sad backstage. He's being interviewed by Charlie Caruso. Um, and he says, man, you know, MVP is tough, but I beat him. He's like, man, MVP lost a significant amount of weight. <laughs> <laughs> Never change. I don't have anybody to celebrate with, but I don't want to be lonely anymore. And if I don't want to be lonely, he holds up a picture of him holding the 24-7 title. He's like, it's time to get my baby back. And he goes, I'm going to sack you, Tom Brady, and I'm going to take it back. Of course, Rob Gronkowski was the, uh, the, the 24-7 champion of the time. So he does the, he does the Tom Brady thing. It's, you know, take it from me. He's, it's our truth. He's funny, you know. Um, and he doesn't know what's going on ever. That's his gimmick. So now. We move 
from the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, all the way up to the East Coast, all the way to Stamford, Connecticut, over 1,100 miles away for the main event, for the reason, for the season. It is the Money in the Bank ladder match. But no, we're not doing it in just a normal ring. We are doing it at WWE headquarters at Titan Tower. We have... Which the- does not look much like a tower. It looks like a regular office building. But it's in a tower, folks. It is It is in tower form. Um, and we're going to have both the... Part of the reason why the show is so short is because usually you have two separate Money in the Bank matches. No, you got two of them. You have both of them happening at exactly the same time. You have the men's match and the women's match going on simultaneously. And they're going to intersect and cross paths multiple times as they fight their way up. So... Yeah, the 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 two briefcases are set up on top of the roof, and we have the the women starting in what appears to be the lobby, and we have the men starting in the the famous Titan Tower weight room. Um, so, and it's it's funny because they have both of these, especially the women, are like making their entrances like into the lobby, and they're like doing their whole entrance like gimmicks and shit to nobody. Yep. Like Dana Brooke does her like flip for like it's like okay you did that for no reason <laughs> no there's no crowd to pop here you're literally in there with just the five other women you're fighting with but yeah for the women who are starting in the lobby it is uh not Lacey Evans Nia Jax Carmella Shayna Baszler Dana Brooke and Asuka who her music hits, this is like already one of the funnier parts of the fucking uh, (laughs) match. So her music hits, and she doesn't appear. And everyone's like looking around like, where's Asuka? Where's Asuka? And they look up above her, or they look up above them, and there she is up on the balcony. Dancing. On top, just dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Off of the balcony. And she's like, yeah, bitch. And then she does a big dive off the balcony on everybody. It's it was Asuka dancing up on top of the balcony is really fucking funny. God bless Asuka. Uh, And then. So, yeah, they they get started and then she gets in the elevator um, and like she's like she's like, dude, it's like it's like it's like a horror movie where like the zombies are coming after her. And she's like she's like pressing the closed door button really fast and they're collecting. (laughs) <laughs> crawling after then eventually the doors close and the elevator goes up and then there's like security cam footage of her dancing el- alone in the elevator <laughs> <laughs> then on the men's side you have uh aj styles otis alistair black king corbin ray mysterio and daniel bryan and they are starting in the titan towers weight room um the uh, renowned for having you know vince mcmahon working out there at three in the morning every day um, and they immediately all start fighting in the weight room. And again, this is immediately I'm watching them fight in the weight room and they're like swinging off of like the fucking, like, like Ray Mysterio does like a, there's like a Rana off like a fucking, like the dip bars and shit. It's like, I know that this was so much fucking fun. Baron Corbin throwing a 45 pound weight into the freaking mirror. <laughs> yeah. Baron Corbin <laughs> picks up a 45 pound weight and throws it at Ray Mysterio gets out of the way. And he, and it, slams and this mirror shatters everywhere and you have this shot of like Baron Corbin looking at it like oh shit <laughs> that was funny um and so yeah this match proceeds it is basically pure comedy for an, about a half hour or so 
um, before they end up leaving the uh, the weight room, you have the spot where like Otis like like body slams AJ onto the floor like underneath like a squat rack, and he <laughs> takes this barbell that has like ten plates on it and puts it on top of AJ, and he's like trapped underneath this like five hundred pound barbell, and he's like screaming like he can't get out, and like like they're all they all start taking off after this. And like Ray is like Ray's just coming past it. Like Ray's like the last guy out. And AJ's like screaming at him. He's like, Ray, Ray, save me. And Ray looks at him and he just keeps going. He leaves him. And AJ's like just screaming in fucking agony and, and horror that he's like trapped down here under this five pound barbell. <laughs> I, I heard a rumor that that's why AJ decided to get swole. Yeah. He, he never wanted that to happen to him again. Um, so yeah, we, we get a few cameos. Um, especially in the early half of this match, we have a brother love cameo. I uh, love you. They're all like run. It's like right after the, 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 the men are coming out of the, 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 the weight room and they're like basically like escaping through, I guess the locker rooms and they have a bathroom. And then like Ray is like running and he's like behind everyone else. And he's like running through the, 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 the locker room. And then you hear the toilet flush. And then Brother Love comes out. Obviously, he just blew that shit up. Um, <laughs> he looks like someone that would, too. And he just goes, I love you. To Ray. And Ray's just like, all right. And he just leaves. Importantly, he does wash his hands. Does wash his hands. Does wash his hands. Um, we, get a, uh, we get a Doink the Clown sighting here, too. <laughs> they're fighting in like a they're, they're fighting in like a in like an elevator lobby like up the like further up I guess further up the uh, the 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 tower and um, we have this spot where it's like like as part of the they did the decor they have like kind of like some wrestling ropes set up um, and like Brian does the yes kicks to Corbin while Corbin's tied up in the ropes. And then you have Otis standing over the side, exuberantly doing the yes chant to Brian while he's doing these kicks. And then Brian like turns on him and he kicks him a bunch of times. And then you have, yeah, doink the clown popping up from behind one of the chairs and just doing his little evil laugh. And then that's, that's, that's all. And then you get a Stephanie McMahon appearance too. Um, Stephanie McMahon was obviously not actually in the same room. This was so bad. It was so bad. Like she obviously like did this like over zoom and then they just like spliced it in to make it look like she was there. Cause they have it. They have a spot where like a bunch of the women fight in a, um, conference room and Dana Brooke ends up like the, the last woman standing and she looks up and sees a money in the brave money in the bank briefcase hanging from the top of the ceiling of this conference room. And she goes up. And she unhooks it and she pulls it down and she's like, you know, oh, this, this triumphant moment. She's so happy. She's won the money in the bank. And then Stephanie McMahon appears at 100,000 percent, not even in the same state as she is <laughs> um, and reveals to her that it's just part of the decor of the conference room is that they had a money in the bank uh, briefcase. <laughs> Full so- of money, by the way. Yeah, it's filled with money, too. It's like clear. It's a clear briefcase that actually like looks like it has money inside of it. Uh, so Dana obviously doesn't know what the actual briefcase ever actually looks like. Um, but yeah, it's it's so bad because Stephanie is clearly not there. Like it's clearly like she filmed this over Zoom or something. And then they just like put it in to be like, oh, Stephanie's here. You never see her or Dana Brooke or any of the other women in the same frame at the same time. Um we have Carmela hits her with a painting right afterwards too. Carmela break. Yeah, that's right. Carmela breaks a painting over her head after that, that, which was funny. 
Um, so we also get this. So like AJ eventually AJ somehow escapes uh, being crushed under 500 pounds. Uh, this 500 pound barbell in the in the in the locker room or in the in the gym. And he is wandering the halls trying to catch up. Right. And suddenly he stops. He sees a big picture on the wall of the undertaker and he is triggered because just a month before he had been, you know, said to rest in peace in the boner yard match. <laughs> uh, and he is, he gets all these flat. He's like, Oh, he's like triggered. He sees the undertaker. And he's like, Oh my God. And then he's like, he's like, he keeps, he keeps, he keeps moving on. He keeps locking. He keeps, he's like trying to open all these doors, trying to find where to go. And he opens a door and it's this, it's like, it's like, it's a door that has the ghostly blue light. And he sees a casket in the middle of this room. And it's got like the smoke coming out. It's like, what, what is this? He's, he's triggered. You have flashbacks, all these flashbacks to the boner yard match, which Carl Anderson broke my fucking brain. I can't <laughs> stop thinking of it as the boner yard. Match. Um, and he's like, oh, God, he's he's terrified. And he tries to leave this room. But then Alistair Black closes the door on him and shuts him in there. And you hear AJ just screaming in terror. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. Then, of course. We move on to the requisites because, again, this is like very much Vince humor. We had to, you know, we had to have the food fight scene. We cut to uh, a very, very happy looking Paul Heyman about to sit down to a very succulent meal. Paul Heyman is there for some reason. He is about to sit down at this table that is just full of food. And he is like he's got his plate set. He's got a big smile on his face. He is ready to eat. The spread looks pretty good. Obviously, like I, I was thinking, I, I saw this and I was like, "This is obviously a rib from Vince on Paul Heyman, like him calling Paul Heyman fat." Yes, like oh, he's about to eat this whole table full of food. Um, but then, right as he sits down and is about to dig in, uh, a bunch of the men and a bunch of the women on both sides all converge at the same time. There's like eight or ten of them, and they all face off, and. Paul Heyman uh, stands up and he's about to start like cutting a promo on them. But then he accidentally activates Otis. He <laughs> Otis is the fuck out. And Otis picks up a big plate of food and throws it and he hits him in the face with it. And he just screams food fight. And then everyone starts food fighting and everyone's throwing food everywhere. Um, again, you can see Daniel Bryan in the corner just like laughing his ass off doing this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> huge food fight scene that ends with uh, Nia Jax powerbombing Dana Brooke through one of these tables. And then we get this brief face-off between Nia and Otis. Clear, unspoken feelings between Nia and Otis. I think air <laughs> off. While Otis is, like, eating a sandwich in the most insane way possible. <laughs> just casually eating a sandwich. Yeah. He's just eating a sandwich. He does this. And then they, they, they go their separate ways. Otis makes his way, like, back, like, back behind this to, like, what's obviously the cafeteria. And like they've got they've got more food set up and <laughs> the way o Otis just Otis speaks in a way that no human has ever spoken in, in history. They got a bunch of like cream pies set up. Oh, yeah. Over him, he goes. Pie, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got I want to hear Otis speak like like. Just regular Otis. What does regular Otis sound like? I have no idea. I mean, I, it's just, you know, just speaking in his own bizarre Otis language. And he picks up one of these pies and he looks like he's about to, you know, about to dig in. 
Who shows up, of course, but John Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace, rolling in on his uh, on his like rascal scooter. John, John, and he looks over and <laughs> just looks at Otis, and he goes, "People power," and then Otis, of course, hits him with a pie in the face. Fuck Doctor Death, John. Fuck Doctor Death. Um. We then, you know, and we, we, we proceed through more of these little comedic vignettes through Titan Towers. Uh, one of the most memorable ones, of course, the Vince cameo. AJ Styles and Brian Danielson continue to battle through all the hallways of Titan Tower. And eventually they fight their way into this, this uh, what, what appears to be an empty office. But then eventually someone turns around and you see that there's a guy standing up out of the chair and it's Vince McMahon. And Vince, like, just stares them down. And AJ and Brian are like, oh, shit. Um, and Vince, he's like, tells him to get out. Which, they, by oh, the way, by the way, would there be any other two people in this in either match that would appear in the same room as room as Vince besides Vince, uh, besides D. Bry and AJ? I don't know. Probably. Would, yeah. Would Vince allow anyone else in that room besides those two? Probably not. I, you know. Those are definitely maybe Ray, but uh, yeah, but yeah, they they like very sheepishly leave the, uh, the 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 Vince's office. Not before like like they go back and they like very like just quietly like straighten up the chair, like straighten straighten out the chairs that they had like kind of knocked around a little bit, and then they they leave and they close the door. And then there's like this brief, there's like this kind of funny dialogue scene between the two of them where they're like they like put their hands on their hips and like oh boy, that was awkward. And then he <laughs> says to him. Man, you look like a real coward in there, <laughs> right, right in front of the boss, man. You're looking like a bitch. And Brian says, me, you're the one who, who told us to put the chairs back. And AJ just looks out into the distance and he goes, yeah, I did, didn't I? And they just kind of like, you're like, yeah. And then they immediately go back to fighting each other. <laughs> uh, yeah. Finally, eventually, we get some people up on the roof and we find out that, yeah, like it's the roof. Wait, David. You missed a very big spot. What? What, what spot did I miss? Dana slipping on the floor next to it. Falling. Yes. They they have the women fighting past. Like there's a there's a there's a janitor mopping who, a floor. Who's the janitor, by the way, David? You have to know the janitor. I don't know who it is, but you is not somebody that I recognize. For all I know, it was probably actually just a janitor at Titan Towers. <laughs> um, but yeah, they have a janitor mopping the floor. Uh, a bunch of the women like run past. And then Dana runs past and slips on this uh, this the mop floor and eats shit. Worst that has to be the worst bump of the night. I of, of all the things they do, that's the worst thing that I, like I saw. Yeah, definitely. But eventually, we finally get some people up to the roof, and, and we see the setup of the roof. We've got like the yeah you know, like a helicopter camera flying around. It is uh, they have a full ring set up on the roof. Um, and like a whole big lighting, you know, it's like lighting towers set up, but they have a full ring set up, which I'm sure setting that up was a huge fucking pain in the ass. I mean, like take all the boards and shit up to the elevators and that, that probably sucked ass. Um, so they have, they have a ring set up on top of the roof and then above that, like hanging off of some kind of crane or something, they've got the, uh, the, the, the money in the bank briefcases and there's two of them. So the women get up there first, and we have three women who make it up to the top. At the end, it is Asuka, Lacey Evans, Nia Jax. They're all fighting each other. Eventually, Asuka knocks Lacey off the ladder onto Nia. She's free and clear. 
Baron Corbin, who is the first man to get there to the top, um, gets there around the same time. And this was the stupidest part of the match. Yeah, very dumb. So Baron Corbin tries to stop Asuka from getting the briefcase. And it's like, like he's like fighting with her. He's like trying to prevent her from getting the briefcase. When there's two briefcases, the two of you can both win. Her winning has no effect on anything that you're doing whatsoever. If he had just ignored him, or hey, if he had just ignored Oscar and just let her fucking climb, like he was there way in front of all the other men. Way in front of up And they could have both just taken the briefcases and both won. But for some reason, Corbin tries to prevent Asuka from winning first, which, again, something that has no bearing at all. You dumb motherfucker. Dumb prick. Um, And so then Asuka ends up, you know, winning, winning the fight um, and knocking him off. And Asuka claims the briefcase and she is the women's uh, money in the bank winner. And then now it is time for the men. Otis gets up there. He looks like he's free and clear, but he tries to climb the ladder, and by God, he's too dense. He tries to climb the ladder, and the ladder breaks. Uh, Again, more, you know Vince loves uh, making fun of people's weight. Um, And so, well, Otis is obviously fucked. How can you win a Money in the Bank ladder match if you can't climb a ladder? Um Eventually, more guys get up. We get Corbin up there. We get Aleister Black up there. Ray appears. Um, AJ appears. I don't think we see Brian again. Um, no, Brian does not make the top. Yeah, so you ha- you're left to assume that AJ just beat the shit out of him in like the lobby of. Uh, of oh wait, of- no, he 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 does. Do we, I, I, I know. Th- does he? I'm trying to think now. I'm trying to remember the finish of this match. If he does, I just watched it. If he does, he doesn't really do anything of note. Correct. Um, but we come to the end here. Um, actually, no, Brian does get there. He does get there eventually. No, I, 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 you're, you're right. Um, but not before. Baron Corbin commits two murders. Um, <laughs> so Baron Corbin. Th- uh, so Ray and Alistair back both climb up the ladder. They're fighting at the top. AJ throws them off the ladder. They both end up on the floor. And Baron Corbin first tosses Ray over the side of the tower. And then he throws Alistair off over the side of the tower and like the way it's shot it's like yeah like you don't see them fall they just go they're gone it's like you're left to believe that baron corbin just threw two men to their deaths i do find it funny we we all remember ray getting thrown off the tower but we all forget alistair was also he, thrown off yes, the tower he killed alistair black also we baron just forget corbin that part two people threw them to their deaths so they're gone i mean they are they are you know red smears on the pavement that leaves four people left a big fight between the last four guys as we come to the end um aj hits otis with a phenomenal forearm he climbs up he's close to winning it we get corbin at the top and then they're they're both they pull the briefcase off of its like latch right the briefcase is now unmoored from the top they both are fighting over they both have a hand on it they're fighting over it back and forth then Elias shows up. Elias appears on screen. It's like there's like no setup to this at all. None is on screen. Like they, the, the camera barely even catches him. He's there for like he's on screen for about a total of three seconds. But Elias, who had been feuding with Baron Corbin at the time, comes up from behind him, breaks the guitar over his back 
and Corbin falls down. That leaves AJ with it, but AJ, before he can, AJ is not able to establish possession with two feet down here. He does not complete the process of the catch. Um, he does not make a football move with the with the briefcase. He has it in his hands, but he fumbles it and he drops it, and the briefcase falls off the top of the ladder right into the hands of Otis, who is standing in the ring, and Otis establishes possession two feet down. It is a good reception, and Otis wins the Money in the Bank. You wondered how Otis could win the Money in the Bank ladder match without being able to climb a ladder? Well, everyone else fucked it up first. And that's that's the end. Otis, uh, as, as, the, as the lovable underdog that the fans love, the big goof that we all enjoy, now has a guaranteed title shot for a world championship whenever he wants, and I'm sure they've got a plan for this. Got to do something with this. Totally, totally have a plan for this. Absolutely, no. Um, yeah, both these matches were really fun. I think, you, like, I think I got my commentary in regarding the match. Um, you know, and they do try, I guess, with Otis in this match because he, he does eat a black mass and a phenomenal form at the end before technically winning. But like the Elias spot of it all, the fact that it's literally fumbled and I chat like I rewatched the fumbling just to make sure. Well, does AJ have possession of this at all in the moment of I mean, he, he doesn't ever really know like has a, gl- a grip on it again. No. It's, it's why is a catch, David? Got to get got to get two feet down. Um, He does not complete the process of the catch. Yeah, was a catch, David. Um, so, like, you know, great for Otis because Otis was definitely hot at this time as someone like during the pandemic who's just very character based, had a very goofy move set, but was also like a really good worker. Um, well, relatively good worker. Uh, and someone like we definitely enjoyed the for the longest time. Our group chat was name was nothing but Otis because Otis stole the scene of every scene he was in. But like the way he wins, man, it's just not a way to make a guy you know, look important. And then the way they book afterwards, obviously also Michael Cole, what the hell are these congratulations to so-and-so for winning? You could not yeah. say that without a, like any semblance I, of emotion. I wasn't going to mention it because it was one of my, uh, my, my <laughs> negative marks, but yeah, it's like, so yeah, it's my, one of mine too. And I'll, 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 I can lay into it. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's so both the whole match, progresses with no commentary whatsoever you do not hear a peep from michael cole after the uh after it starts um and then yeah like the only time you ever hear from him is like after the two of them win and he just like a couple like like pre-recorded like sentences from him about like well congratulations it's like it's like the most like he's like the least interested man ever he's like well congratulations to oscar for winning the money and like you would think that like otis who is like an underdog, like like a big underdog here, um, like probably like the last guy you would have expected to actually win Money in the Bank in this match, winning it and winning in such like a crazy way, like you would have some kind of reaction or emotion at all from the announcer, but he's just like, okay, well Otis won, and yeah, and we wonder, we wonder, we, we wonder why he never really got a push after the fact. It was just like there's a scene with him and Mandy Rose with the briefcase, and that was it for SummerSlam. But- it's so fucking bad, dude. And then by Hell in a Cell in October, he had dropped it to Miz. Yeah. Uh, the dumbest shit ever. Some of the worst booking ever. Like, ever. Like, they just... 
did not have a plan at all for him um, being the, being money in the bank, and uh, it was it was it was brutal. It sucked, and it it I, I I was I was very happy when he won this because you love you gotta love Otis, you know. And they never they never put a guy like this over, and so that guy like Otis never fucking wins anything. But they did, and it was it, we were all happy about it. But it's like you know. It is. It is. Uh, it, it ruins it in retrospect because it's just like, oh yeah, he never even got to cash in. Never he, even got the chance to fucking like. You never even got the chance to lose the fucking uh, to to lose that shit. You know what I mean? Uh, like like do a Damien Sandow and like cash in and lose. You know what I mean? Never even got to do that. Uh, fucking sucks, dude. Yeah, it was tough. But and on the flip side, Oscar. Oscar wins the money in the bank, also with no fanfare whatsoever. But then the following Monday Night Raw, it's announced that Becky Lynch is pregnant. And so that money in the bank contract is actually for the women's title, which an insane moment and also like a really cool kind of moment from the pandemic. And it, it was a good title run for Asuka, too, because she was like one of the best in the biz at this time. And like someone else who really carried the pandemic. And so like it's. The stark contrast between Asuka's quote unquote money in the bank run versus Otis's money in the bank run. It's just completely wild to think about. Yeah, I mean that that is true, because it happened like immediately. Yeah, or yeah, she she won the she won the money in the bank, and then it yeah, it was literally the next week on Raw was when Becky Lynch, who was the champion, announced that she was pregnant and had to drop the title and just gave it to Asuka. Um so yeah. But I, if I remember correctly, I don't think I remember reading that. Like, I don't think that Oscar knew at the time that that was going to happen. No. So her whole reaction to it was like like completely genuine. Like she really didn't know that that was a thing. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. So so Oscar didn't even need to cash in. She ends up just basically automatically becoming the champion right after this. As, and it makes total and it makes total sense too. It's not like one of those things where they kind of retcon something. It makes exact sense. So you're like, oh yeah, your money in the bank. Yeah, you you get the championship. Yeah. So yeah, probably like the the only time ever that the uh, money in the bank has actually like, you know, we we've had like the Royal Rumble be for the championship before. This is like the only time ever that the money in the bank ended up pretty much actually being for the championship. Um, not not in name, but like functionally, that's what it was. Yep. So, but yeah. Fucking, I mean, what what can you say about this? You know, out of out of all the, the cinematic matches that WWE did, this is one that when they announced the idea, we loved it. I was like, this is awesome. I was like, I was like, yo, I don't know. Like again, WWE is something that like in historically when they've tried to be funny, they often aren't funny because it's like, it's it's. They're doing what Vince McMahon is going to think is funny. And Vince McMahon is a mentally ill 80-year-old man. Him and most other people do not have the same definition of what is funny. But, like, I was like, this is, this, like, there's no way they could fuck this up. And, you know, in terms of the humor, again, not everything lands. There's a lot of stuff in there that is like, yeah, this was for Vince. We had to put this in because, you know, Vince wants to make fun of fat people or Vince wants to have a food fight or, you know, Vince, Vince likes potty humor. And I'm not going to judge him. I like potty humor, too. I think taking shits is hilarious. But I mean, it's like obviously like there's some stuff in here that's for Vince. But like by and large, it's like, yeah, like I 
I was super excited when they announced this concept. I was like, there's no way they, like, there's no way they can possibly fuck this up. And they pretty much didn't, you know? Like, again, it's not a total 100%, you know, like, you know, dinger. Like, a company like like TNA, for instance, or AEW, that has people that are actually funny in it, probably could have done it way better. But it's still funny. And it's still a good time. I can still watch this back three years later, three and a half years later, and have a good time. And I, you know, I got, I got some smiles and I got some guffaws out of it, and I, I enjoyed the ride. I think so, too. And, and you know, like, it wasn't... It's something I appreciate, too, because it was very early on. I'm like, hey, you know, they did this... And they did what they can, and ultimately, I, I thought it was a great show for for what it could have been. I think it's um, like the show itself is very hit and miss for understandable reasons. But you know, the the stuff that you know, it, they're working under some obviously pretty understandable, uh, you know, limitations and some very difficult uh, circumstances. They they they. They do their best. I mean, I you know, never gonna talk shit on the talent except for Tamina. They're they're, they're <laughs> except for Tamina, who I'm just always gonna shit on. Uh, but you know, again, I, I wish her well. I'm sure she's I'm sure she's a nice person. So that will bring us to our two and a half marks. Angelo, start us off. Sure, my half mark is going to professional wrestling in the face of the pandemic. I mean, I got fully integrated with pro wrestling while this was going on because there was very little else to do and you know pro wrestling had always been something that i had enjoyed you had brought me back into it. i was like why not i got i'm gonna go crazy into it because i believe they were running the g1 at the time in uh new japan so i was watching i was keeping up with that i was following AEW, was following wwe and so pro wrestling really kind of helped make the pandemic go by quicker for me because it was like the only source of live entertainment that really wasn't like Dra- it was it was still drastically affected, but like was able to continue operations pr- more normal than anything else that you'd experience. Like you essential watch business, baby, essential business, because uh, you like you watched base like hockey, baseball stopped, basketball stopped, football was delayed and had a bunch of crazy shit. WWE and AEW more or less kept the train moving with very little like interruption. I mean, obviously, there was like some uh, outbreaks of COVID in WWE and there were some long running jokes. AEW generally had, a, I, I think, a better policy for the longer term on COVID. But and they they also had the same. I mean, it was same a, issues. It happened. Yeah. So it, it was, uh, you know, I appreciate it because I think like you look at the boon of wrestling now. I think that, that a lot of the work they did during the pandemic when they were like one of the only real sources of live sports entertainment, live entertainment in general, and they were just going with anything. Now, you had a lot of dumb things like who could forget the Seamus Jeff Hardy P-test spot uh, yes. that came from this pandemic as well. There were a lot of bad things that came out of it, but I who think got, like who got the P poured on them? Was it Jeff or Seamus? Seamus. Seamus got covered in pee, right? Yes. Yeah. So I am, you know, pro wrestling. I appreciate everything they did during the pandemic. I think it ultimately paid off with like how well the business has been doing over the past few years. Uh, in the addition to the fact that, you know, they've made some necessary changes on the WWE side uh, that make the product more interesting. But I think a lot of the work they did during the pandemic ultimately has led to this giant boon. And, you know, you're really seeing the fruits of their labor come to fruition. 
My negative one mark is going to Michael Cole because what the hell was that call at the end? Like, dude, dude. They're, they're winning the Money in the Bank briefcase. Let's let's sell it as a big event, especially for Otis, a guy who this is his first time winning anything. Uh, heavy Machinery, I don't believe, ever won a tag title. Thing. Never won anything. So this is effectively Otis's first real, quote unquote, championship in WWE. And, yeah. that, and he sells it like That's hell. He didn't, he didn't wrestle before WWE. He was like a straight from like shoot wrestling like amateur wrestling, whatever, to WWE. So like his entire wrestling experience, entire career has been in WWE. Exactly. So this is a huge deal. And Michael Cole gives them the most canned. Oh, look at Otis. You're 2020 money in the bank champion. And so like, cool, man, way to undersell this dude. Really like the amount of damage that did to Otis long-term. It took Alpha Academy getting over and him doing work in the Alpha Academy to really kind of like, rebuild Otis to what he was before this Money in the Bank run. And, you know, it, that's insane that it took that long to kind of recover from winning Money in the Bank and then losing it. And then two marks is going to Ingenuity. Um, they did what they could. Uh, I think ultimately, like, Thunderdome was something that bizarre to look at, and the pumped-in crowd noise always felt weird, but it did feel better than just, like, this empty performance center like the, the empty performance center was just wild. Yeah. Uh, you know, the money in the bank being uh, a literal race to the top of Titan Tower. Uh, what they did with the Firefly Finals, like everything during the pandemic. I appreciate the fact that they didn't just try and keep things the same. They're like, let's make the most out of this crazy situation. And so like it ended up being like a very unique viewing experience. And I appreciate the fact that they not only kept things going, but were also willing to try different things to make the product, you know, more interesting during this time. Cause it, you really had limited options to make it interesting. Sure. I will, I will make a brief correction because it was not the G one. It was the new Japan cup. Thank you. Uh, coming out of the pandemic. They was, uh, which was the year that uh, they, they, they had like a, a month or two later than they usually do. And that was, uh, the year that evil turned heel. Yes. I was going to say, this is the evil heel turn. That son of a fucking that fucking asshole, Dick Toga. I'll never forget them. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give my uh, I'm gonna give my my half mark to just yeah, kind of like along what you said, just like the opportunity to try wacky shit. You know, like literally just try whatever the fuck you want. It very, we talked about it at the start of the show. Very unique opportunity in the history of pro wrestling, where it's like, hey. Everything that we know is 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 gone now in pro wrestling. Up is down. Black is white. Uh, we are Disco in, Inferno is not insufferable dick. No, nah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like we are in a totally different universe right now. And we have the opportunity, hopefully for a limited time, hopefully at the end of all this, life's gonna go back to normal. And we're going to go back to business as usual with the, you know, packing those asses every 18 inches. But for, for now, every stupid fucking idea that we've ever had, like, man, wouldn't it be funny if we did this? We can just do it. There's no reason that we can't because there's there's no there's no live audience that you have to play to. And there were a lot of ups and there were a lot of downs. And there were a lot of really stupid ideas and there was a lot of really great shit that came out of it. But it was just such a wacky time that. It was honestly, like, again, it was it was a fascinating time to be a wrestling fan because you just had all these fucking weird ass things happening that you never conceived of. 
And to be honest with you, it was it was kind of fun. I don't miss it. I don't want to go. No, back. never. But it was kind of fun. Um, I'm going to give yeah my my negative one mark as well to Michael Cole. Um, kind of, you know, it's your typical performance from him, you know, throughout. But yeah, I mean, the the, the shit at the end of the Money in the Bank matches, it's just like, you know, you're supposed to like put this over as mattering, right? It's not like one of the 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 main job of a commentator in pro wrestling is to to put stuff over. This is like a guaranteed world championship that they're winning. Yeah. You're supposed to do that. Uh you're supposed to 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 put them over and he just doesn't. It's like you could not be more disinterested if you try. It's it's honestly pretty brutal. And then I'm going to give my full two marks to the Otis voice. Otis has a way of speaking whenever he's on commentary or whenever he's anywhere, but especially here, he's just fucking hollering. He's just, he's just, he's just screeching and shrieking and yelling non sequiturs. And it's just like, there's that's, that's part of his charm is that this motherfucker is just like, I, you, you cannot imagine him being a normal person, you know? He's just he's just he's just not a normal person, you know. No 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 human being has ever spoken the way that he does, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, just when like when when he goes into the uh, when he when he goes into the fucking uh, cafeteria and he goes, pie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, yep. No other motherfucker who could do that. Just him. He's the only dude who could do that. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun. So. Big, big shouts to uh, to Otis. So that will wrap up our coverage of WWE Money in the Bank 2020. We, uh, yeah, again, most likely the last show that we'll be doing in 2023. So when we lead off 2024, I'm going to, so, so for when we lead off 2024, I'm going to hit our last order of business. I'm going to, I'm going to drop into the randomizer and see what we're going to be watching next time on the pod. As I pull this up, Angelo, what? you want to see i'll tell you why i don't want to see and i don't need another pandemic pay-per-view coming up so soon that said i could really go for some nxt it feels like it's been a minute since we've got an nxt let's get some nxt in here yeah it does it does seem like a bit since we've done some nxt but that's not what we're doing it's not what we're doing at all uh yeah that is that is not what we're going to be doing literally at all we're actually going to uh, the the real kind of approaching peak era attitude era WWF WWF SummerSlam 1998 main event Stone Cold versus The Undertaker for the WWF title. We've got Triple H versus The Rock. We've got the Ken Shamrock Owen Hart Lions Den match. A lot of really classic type shit on here. Real quick, look up the poster for SummerSlam 1998. You want to talk about a dope-ass wrestling poster. Uh, they don't make posters like that anymore. That they shit do not. Awesome, dude. Holy shit. Yeah, it looks amazing. Um, the, like, the, the notable day pay-per-view debut of Edge. Yes, that's true. Edge, yeah. Um, and we've got, I was just talking shit about Dick Togo. Dick Togo is on here with Kai and Ty wrestling a, uh, a handicap match. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be next time on the pod, probably early 2024, hopefully the first week of 2024. So uh, 
uh, out here on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So, for my good friend Angelo Anglisa, my name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Mm-hmm.